This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. Hey, that's pretty, 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 pretty good. The Raptors shellac the Warriors 133 to 118 behind an unbelievable RJ Barrett performance and like piecemeal, not stardom, but piecemeal fantastic stuff from the rest of the roster. When you get Chris Boucher had 17 points and nine boards on 100% shooting. Pascal Siakam plugged in like perfectly wherever he was needed. The future of this team, I think the messaging has largely been Scotty and Emmanuel quickly. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But those guys combined for like 15 points on 21 shots in this game. And the Raptors didn't even smell it. It didn't even matter to them. This was super impressive. It got like a little hairy, got down to nine after being at 27. But another unique thing about this iteration of the Raptors what happens, man? They make a run with a bench unit? Okay. Yeah. A, a yeah. Predo- not not like one bench guy plugging in, but like a predominantly bench players unit. They make a run. You're getting yeah. threes from Chris Boucher, self-creation from RJ Barrett. Uh, for listeners, this is his Fandiar Barhaney. You probably know him, but if you don't, SDPN is the YouTube channel. He does the basketball stuff over there. He's fantastic. They're growing the basketball and Raptors side of it. So feel free to subscribe over there. We're here yes, to sir. talk Raptors. S, first impression from that game. Holy smokes. Uh, yeah, holy smokes is the way to put it, man. Um, that was just a crazy... I don't even want to call it crazy because it it's maybe assumes or suggests that this is like out of the realm of possibilities for the Raptors. But over the last four games, it's been like, what, 126, 130, 131? They, the they can score the basketball in bunches. Um, yeah, just I, I love the fact that you brought up the bench because, I mean, 50 whatever bench points uh, jumps out almost immediately. I think this is something we talked about last week, or was it last week that we talked? A couple of days ago, whatever. Um, um, Just in general, the role clarity has helped the bench just make so much more sense. Dennis knows what to do now because quickly is that starting point guard for you. You know, kind of he's he's the one, I don't even want to say commandeering, but just kind of controlling the pace of those bench units a lot more. Chris Boucher is stepping in now without Precious, and you see him... You know, I think some of the decision-making woes that a precious Boucher lineup used to have, you don't see that as much because maybe Boucher is slotted into the right spots, you know, popping out for a couple of threes tonight, being able to feast off of offensive rebounds, especially with him being the only guy grabbing and crashing the glass. Then you have Gary Trent Jr. being that, like, extra creator, playmaker. Just awesome, amazing game for the bench, which is, like, very cool because this is a new wrinkle for a Raptors team that, I don't know, I guess just was constantly searching for a bench mob, if you will. Yeah. You know, we we have a comment from Aaron Drummerboy Henry and Minhas, both of them kind of a little bit uh, maybe anxiety about Scotty's play. 
to quell that, I think just acknowledge first that the Raptors are obviously ostensibly a better team currently. That yeah. matters more than anything. And Scotty is in a new role somewhat and has to adjust to new teammates. He's a super cerebral player whom a lot of his game is built off of reads. So getting used to new te- teammates and all that kind of stuff is just part of you know him inputting himself into the offense. It'll come around. He's already proven himself as like immensely valuable on both sides of the floor. And even last game going like four for eight from downtown, he's having a tough time navigating the middle of the court. That's never been his strong suit. So it's just yeah. taken, it's, you got to let it breathe. But also like in the first half, Steph Curry, he didn't have a single made field goal. Pascal, Scotty, and Dennis all had time checking him as the primary, but Scotty was chief among them. He had, and I know a lot of people, myself included, for like a lot of matchups, I'm like, I don't know about Scotty on a point guard, but I thought to start the Darren Fox matchup, he was quite good, using his length as a buffer, letting the coverage behind him provide cover for him. And I thought he was really great tonight. Like, they, it allowed them to play a lot of deny defense on Curry to move the offense elsewhere to the other side of the floor. And it also allowed them to top lock without having that much to worry about going down because Scotty is like the, you know, from the Legend of Zelda games, there was the Wind Waker, the one at sea. <laughs> There's this big bird demon thing you have to fight. Like the, it's called the <laughs> King of Helmarok. And it's like this big, and that's just like, that's Scotty out there. I thought he was great. Uh, it's not his best game, obviously, but yep. this is the unique aspect is like, I know everybody likes to freak out after one game or, you know, whatever else, but it's it's a it's not a battle. It's a war. You know, you trudge forward or maybe not to put in those harsh of terms. It's a long way. You you yeah. work and you develop through things. It's a marathon, if you will. Hey, there you go. There we yeah. go. There was also death at the end of marathon, though, right? <laughs> like the guy, he ran 26 miles and then he died when he got there. That's the thing anyway. Um, okay. But let's keep it somewhere extremely positive. Danny uh, donates $2. Thank you, Danny, and says the toxic asset can play a eh? certainly. Um, I like throwing the A in there because, yeah. you know, Canadian. but Canada, yeah. where we reside. <laughs> but that is kind of like I, I've said this elsewhere, Twitter, other podcasts, my own podcast. I don't like the economics of basketball, the dehumanizing language. I thought the toxic yeah. asset thing was silly, but also real RJ truthers stand up, man. Right. He's a guy <laughs> with skill sets. Who can do yeah. things sure he can pop it's not every game is going to be like this but he was scoring efficiently prior to this game he's moved down the hierarchy the totem pole just a little bit which yeah. means that like if you're loading up on pascal on scotty on quickly even Schroeder like initiating some plays and all of a sudden you have rj barrett who now i think like four across four games four empty side pick and rolls where he has managed pace where he has managed his roller as a passer and has been able to probe with a live dribble that he won't kill and he'll like either worm his way to the basket, the left side, or yeah. he'll be able to make that pocket pass. Big shout out to the best scout I know, Josh Codanera, who as soon as RJ got traded, brought up that he provides a unique wrinkle to the Raptors offense because he threatens the left side of the rim so much. And yeah. while that was duplicative, with Brunson and with Randall. It's a completely new and unique wrinkle for the Raptors. And so a team is gearing up for so much Pascal and Scotty and quickly all game. And all of a sudden, like you have this counterculture. It's yeah. like, you know, rage against the machine, man. He's coming in there. He's throwing fits in the paint, taking the bump, finishing, <laughs> cash and triples. Is and triplicate like, a word? I, you said duplicate. I've all, all the only thing I've been thinking of is is triplicate a word. You know, no, I don't think it is. But <laughs> hey, 
I'll let Whatever. you go off this. RJ, can, your uh, thoughts? No, you're you're totally right. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, ruin your <laughs> train of thought there with triplicate. But I I think ultimately the the great thing, the crazy uh, amusing thing about RJ is the fact that he's so relentless. And you mentioned the left side of the floor. I love the fact, like you mentioned, the live drip. Like you mentioned, the live dribble. Um, and and when you keep that live dribble alive, you know, you know, because it's in the CPR. name. CPR. Yeah, it, it's 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 more advantageous. You're more of a threat as a scorer. And I think the fact that he's able to do that, it just opens up a lot of advantages for what he can do. Is triplicate a word? Triplicate is a word, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Um, yes. So I I think that's that's what the main thing is with RJ. I mean, you mentioned it all, man. I I I just kind of can vouch for the fact that he has been so phenomenal getting downhill. The transition stuff has been incredible to watch. I think. The wrinkle there is that you can now rely on RJ to to take, I guess you could have done this with OG before too, but I think to a higher degree, you can trust RJ's downhill transition game, especially when it's one-on-one versus another guy compared to, okay, OG might be able to strong arm a guy in transition, but for the most part, he's not getting into it with his live dribble to attack a guy, get him off his foot. And then finish with a fin. You know what I mean? Like it's a different way, a different approach that they have to barreling to the rim. And I think that's unique to what he brings to the Raptors. You mentioned the left side of the floor. Um, he had two right-handed layups today, which is like hell yeah, let's go. I'm, I'm tracking the one was those. Uncontested. Just... I know. Yes, I know. And I, the other I know, one yeah. rimmed out, and yes. then they got a putback. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. hey, which is like rim hey, pressure. That's rim pressure. that's exactly. that's one of the things about rim pressure is you drag guys. Like I'm not to do the you know, 2007 yeah. analysis where Kobe takes like, or miss goes what six for 24 in a finals game. And you start talking about Kobe assists, but when you have scoring gravity, it allows you to pull guys away and open up offensive rebounding opportunities for others. Chris Boucher has been making a killing as an offensive rebounder since the trade was made because there's guys pulled farther away from the paint. He's obviously had a great little sniffer for offensive rebounds for years and years, uh, but also triplicate existing in three copies or examples Hell yeah. It works. Let's go. That's right, uh, man. Hey, can I mention one thing you mentioned about Scotty uh, and the defense? I would probably disagree that he was good against the Kings. I had because just I said like, the, the start. Whole... Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I mean, like kind of whatever. It, it's all it's all good. We can... <laughs> In the first quarter, let's have it out. Let's have it out. Okay. Okay. In let's the hash first it quarter, Fox yeah. didn't really get anywhere on Scotty. They forced the pocket pass. Sabonis so yeah. was left 15 feet and up, which is fine. That's what the defense wants. And a lot of their early scoring came weak side or came on offensive rebounds from Sabonis, throwing everybody around in that. I thought Scotty did a decent job of like buffering. I, okay, now that, I that evaporated. That changed and evaporated. But in the first quarter, when I tweeted about it and when I talked about it just how <laughs> long ago, he did pretty well. I thought he got better as the game progressed, actually, which is like the complete opposite of what we're talking about. Yeah, I know. Um, you know what's crazy? Shout out to Pascal, because I thought he did a great job tonight on Steph. Uh, and I know on, on everybody on everybody. Just this incredible. was his best switching game I've seen in a long time. Hell yeah. The um, fact that. Yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Well, I'll just say we can work this into a, a comment yeah. or a question just to, you know, it's good to engage yeah, the audience. Keir Doyle says offensive stuff was great. And there's some Steph shot making luck there, but thought the Raps were very good defensively. So we're going to be jumping off of that. They were pretty good defensively for a lot of this. 118 oh, yeah. is nothing. That's not like fantastic, but a lot of good stuff happened for the Raptors defensively. I think your, like your six, 
No, I was going to say, I think like 16 of those points were in the last four or five minutes and half of them were Moses Moody and Trace Jackson Davis points. Like it just, you know, I, I, that 118 final score is probably a little bit of a boost compared to what it would have been. But I think Steph, the reason that he struggled, yes, it was a couple of missed shots here and there for him, just like shots you would expect to drop. But I thought they did an excellent job of chasing over on these screens, like ha sending multiple bodies to make sure that he's not catching it, you know, in rhythm, ready to go. And especially, you know, the, the Raptors ran a few actions that they run for Steph on the other side for quickly, where it's like, okay, split action, try to get quickly popping out to above the break. And it's really nice. It's beautiful. I would love them to do it more often. There you go. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to diagram. Diagram. Go. I've got it done yes. up. We have horns flex, which is a staple of the Raptors. They ran it before nurse. They ran it with Nurse. Now they run it with Darko. Hell yeah. You can hear me? I'm coming across clearly? Yes. we Yeah, okay. yeah. We can hear you. Yeah. All right. So, oh, I shouldn't have used silver. Anyway, this is Emmanuel Quickly right here, okay? He's going to enter the ball to Jakob Pertl. Then he's going to cut off of Scotty, right? This is yeah. similar to their horns chin action, except IQ flows here, sets a flex screen for Pascal to cut into the paint. They've been able to connect on this prior, this pass, this high-low pass. They don't. This ends up transitioning. That IQ, after that, comes off of Jakob's screen right here and pops open, and Scotty passes him the ball for a three. The Warriors messed it. up that coverage, but for years, Fred Van Vliet made a killing yeah. in that play because he is such a good guard screener, and he can shoot on the move. Quickly does not have the same... Uh, uh, chunkiness not chunkiness no like it's not girthiness to him right yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. he's not as big a screener for like that kind of stuff as fred is but he yeah. might at this part of his career he's probably a better movement shooter and that wasn't even a movement shot because the warriors messed up the coverage so bad but like nice little play you just get to run you know raptors fan says samson needs a mic arm to free his hand even when i go on the raptors show with like Will and Blake, I still hold that mic like a grudge, man. It's part of it. It's even it like, is. I got it is. I agree. With, listen, as a fellow mic hand holder, I agree. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, you gotta like you gotta hold the mic, man. If you were if you um, were in a concert, right? If you were like performing music, you gotta do the whole you know lean in with the mic stick type of that's thing. That's right. You hey, know? actually, a funny thing for more S Barney stuff, 888MJL says, damn, anyone get a good screenshot of S squinting at the screen trying to see Samson's chicken scratch? That'd be a good one. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Let's let's talk more defense, though. So Pascal, I thought, switched across like a whole bunch of different coverages, switched across a whole bunch of different players. And I thought this was his best switching game in a long time. You mentioned the Raptors, I think emulating a classic of OG Ananobi's lock and trail, stick on the hip, play the correct hand to block the pass back because they mm -hmm. love the pass back when it's the Warriors, pressure downhill. And who was at the end of all of those possessions? Jakob Pertl, who there have been points and times in the season where he's had trouble setting the edge, where like funneling to him wasn't always the easiest thing because he didn't have that much pop. Or for example, we see guys, if he can't set the edge, he's getting beat around the corner and can't wall off the, the glass. Yeah, All that kind of stuff were, were big negatives. In this game, I thought he managed both perfectly. What did you think about Pirtle's performance tonight? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the, the big thing that maybe 
might be a drawback with the way that they're using him right now is the fact that he has to contest a lot of these shots at the rim. So now they're selling out on some offensive rebounding. And you saw that throughout this game. You saw that through Sacramento as well. There's like, if he's the one protecting the paint, if he's the one contesting the shot, then you need other guys either crashing the glass or boxing out his man so that they can. And like, that's just something that's going to happen. Yeah. Not to be too hard on Pascal, but Pascal can actually Pascal can toggle his rebounding up more than it has been for a while now. Like Pascal can crash harder than he has been for some time. Uh, Scotty only has two rebounds tonight. That's kind of odd. He can crash more. And even, and even last night too, right? Like these guys have to be a little bit more cognizant of that help. Um, This is a team that seems huge on the one side, like the, the Warriors broadcast that I was watching to hear if they had, how was it? How was that? Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty vague like they okay. they weren't highlighting anything particularly interesting they did talk about top blocking which you know fandoms and broadcasts are informed so much by the type of basketball that they see right all the yeah. time so if you're a warriors, warriors probably fan, see it a lot yeah. or if you're a warriors broadcaster what are you going to talk about top blocking if you're a raptors fan or a raptors broadcaster you would have been very very familiar with the term x out you would have been yeah. very very familiar with mismatch hunting and like all that kind of stuff so it, it was not so bad but yeah they it was pretty vague most of it i people told me beforehand that they're not a great broadcast i didn't come away from it thinking like hell yeah this rocks it, it certainly wasn't like the hornets or anything like that no, or, no yeah definitely not yeah like, like even the celtics i think i i get like a decent amount out of and i know the people like hate the celtics but i think scalabrini can be quite insightful sometimes uh phoenix plays e says do you think pascal is coasting to prevent injury I think Pascal's like compete level on defense is lower than it has been in the past. He used to be just like the Tasmanian devil. Go watch 2019-20. He yeah. is insane. And even for pockets in time in 2021-22, it's it's pretty nuts. Like his compete level def- defensively, his court coverage, but he's been so injured. And like people forget that Pascal has fought through a bunch of injuries and still come back to play like 37, 38 minutes per game. Two groin injuries. And like his shoulder, he tore his labrum. Like he's had a bunch of stuff that a lot of other players would not immediately re-enter the lineup as an Ironman, but he does. And it's affected his athleticism, I think, a little bit. Um, And I think that's affected some of his like defense. I think it's affected some of his rebounding. Is he coasting? I think the older players get, they typically, they manage more where they're at in a game. Mm -hmm. They try and take the slow parts of the game slower. They try and like in the fast parts of the game, navigate it with craft a little bit more. And so I think that's happening with Pascal, but that happens with a lot of players. And typically it happens before 29. It actually like most players, they start doing it like midway through their, like they're like 26 or 27 to be quite honest. Also like, to be honest with you, like you mentioned the early years, championship year, obviously like first year of him becoming, I don't know, I guess a, a mainstay of the offense, offensive engine or whatnot. As you get more offensive responsibility, it's yeah. kind of hard to do both, man. Like yeah. it's, there's like few players in the league who can do both at a hundred percent level, maybe at that. And like even the very, very best in the league take possessions off. So you're going to have that kind of momentum swing, whatever pendulum swing it is between effort on offense and defense. And I feel like given Pascal's offensive responsibilities for this team, 
you kind of need him to be that guy for you offensively to take what how many shots did he end up taking tonight? Eleven, which was not a lot, but like to take the shots that he needs to in the flow of the offense, right? He, he basically refuses to shoot under fifty percent from the field anymore, Pascal. <laughs> like every game, he's yeah. he's typically close to like lately, he's just close to sixty percent, and not typically under fifty percent. A, a good question here from Darko Stan. Do you think this new version of the Raptors can be a top 10 offense? They have been elite since the trade. Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were 12th last year. As crazy as that sounds. But and this it Raptors was all team, off transition. Like it was all off. They were yeah. 25th in half court efficiency. And of course, they were second in transition frequency. And I think third in transition efficiency. This right. year, I think they're third in transition efficiency. They're first in transition frequency. So as far as like what the Raptors... Are going to be able to do offensively if they have i think tonight their offensive rating in the half court was 114 per 100 that would be the best in the nba just for anybody who likes paying attention to that um they've been scoring the hell out of the basketball even prior to the trade they were scoring the hell out of the basketball but with the trade you just see like the balance especially in their top seven dennis even like dennis doesn't isn't the rule but dennis is a really good example of like this guy since taking this backseat and attacking more bench guards and more bench bigs and playing in some two guard lineups where the other guard isn't necessarily Gary Trent Jr. But Emmanuel quickly, there's just like way more, way more space to attack. Everyone gets to operate in more room. And Dennis is like shooting like 60% from the field. Dennis is like fitting in perfectly. Dennis is finding all his spots. Every once in a while, there's a shot I don't like that much, but like RJ is fitting in perfectly. We talked a bunch about him at the start. It's just like, this is really good stuff, guys. I know in this game, like just to give everybody the numbers, so the Raptors half court points per play, 114.8, which is elite, 90th percentile of all games this season. Their points per possession in transition, 98th percentile of any game this season and points per play was 187.5. So they're running out in transition, scoring the hell out of the basketball, getting into their stuff in the half court, scoring the hell out of the basketball. They had high low stuff working with Jakob. They had off ball screens working to get Emmanuel quickly loose for three. Yeah. RJ hit a three off of a pin down. RJ hit a three off of a pin in. Emmanuel quickly is always in motion. This wasn't even his game. Neither was it Scotty's. Pascal is scoring in the middle of the court, collapsing the defense, playmaking to the corners for shooters. Chris Boucher is 7-7 from the floor. Like, everything, everything is like bang, 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 bang. And it's been that way, man. Mm-hmm. It Like, they got to face, like, a top-notch defense at some point. But they they can, especially I have faith in Scotty and Pascal, when this kind of stuff slows down, those guys are like pretty tough. Yeah. They're, like they're really tough. And even some of the best defenses, by the numbers, they're great. They still aren't sure quite how to match up with Pascal or Scotty. It can be like, it can be a, a whale of a problem to try Man, and figure and, out how to stop those guys. And those guys do so good at getting the early work done. Like, oh especially tonight, like, man, they are physicians, like just craftsmen, whatever you, kind of clinical. Yeah, surgical, like literally any kind of word to describe these guys in order for them to just be elite. They are the reason Steph was on Scotty so much in the post or Steph was on Pascal so much in the post was because both of those guys early in the game, especially were actively running early in transition to find Steph. 
And when you have guys who, one, recognize that, say, hey, we're very good post players. We're going to attack this guy every single possession. Cook is ass offense. Yeah. Cook, cook offense. It's a mismatch hunting, like you mentioned earlier. But I think that really helps the Raptors in transition, but also in the half court. Because let's say they aren't able to get that hit ahead pass, which quickly got a lot today. Let's say you can't get that. The mismatch is already established once you're in that half court. So one advantage is already created when you throw the ball to either Pascal and Scotty in the post, draw double team, kick, rotate. There's either a second side read between RJ or quickly. And then now you have this free flowing offense sort of that just makes a lot of sense. It yep. starts with an advantage and it probably ends in an advantage for this team. Half court numbers for this year, by the way, I got you. We had um, the exact same thought. That's pretty good. I got go. it pulled up, man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. They're 22nd this year. Um, They're about uh, to uh, jump, I believe. They will. They will. They have to 20th. Yeah. I think this game um, will jump them into 20th. Over the last two weeks, mistake, I I could be wrong. Keeks did tweet this out before, but they are top 10 over the last two weeks, which goes to show you it has looked a lot better since I think December 11th. So it's actually more than two weeks. It's like three weeks of basketball that they've been a top 10 half court offense. I saw the tweet. Almost can't remember month. exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah it, it, like their offense has been trending up. Like this was a thing that happened was it was really bad early on. They had to figure out how to work Pascal into the offense. As soon as they yeah. figured out how to do that, they started climbing slowly because Pascal is still their best half court operator far and away. Not in this game. That was RJ Barrett. We'll get more on that later. But <laughs> as far as like working Pascal, your best half court operator into your half court offense, they started rising. Then they got some three point regression. A lot of that was Pascal. They really started rising. They were playing really great offense prior to the trade but they just weren't playing defensively. And the worst part, and this was, you mentioned like the difference between OG and RJ. RJ is just miles better than OG with a live dribble. OG is a better spot up shooter. OG is a better defender. OG is a better play finisher from a standstill. Like his standing dunk rating is a 99. Like he has a badge, all that kind of stuff. He can catch lobs all the time. I know RJ caught one tonight, which I want to talk about, but oh yeah, yeah. like there's the extra creation, live dribble creation, is exactly what the Raptors needed for when they have a guy like Pascal, a guy like Scotty. These guys walk out there and they are a walking mismatch. And especially like Scotty will get way better over time. He's not even on a max extension yet, right? But like, oh, yeah. especially Pascal for now, walks out there, knows exactly what he wants to do, knows exactly where he's going to draw the double from, compromises the defense un like immediately. And then if you don't want to leave it in the hands of just like three point shooting variants, you want a guy who the floor collapses and he'll like come in on the weak side with a live dribble and navigate and negotiate the space between defenders. RJ fits in really well there, which is why I know tonight was a hot shooting night, but he was efficient prior to this. And a yeah. lot of it was attacking off the left side with big space that was given to him, afforded to him by mismatch hunting by Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. Now, Obviously, this game wasn't the most tangible, like Scotty and Pascal dominate situation, but there's just so much room for them to succeed offensively now. And there's so many different ways they can do it. You know, I had a tweet tonight where I was talking about the Raptors were trying like their offense prior to all this kind of stuff making sense is they're trying to like light a wet log on fire with a water bottle. Now that was a very have... interesting tweet. That was a very interesting tweet. Where now did you they... come with, come off with what water bottle? Sorry, I just I, I one thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. 
I, I was just thinking of things that don't burn well. And I was like, a water <laughs> bottle feels like it doesn't burn well at all. Like, uh, water feels like outside of, like, the, the bullshit people have been able to cook up in labs. Like, yeah, the yeah, most yeah. flame-retardant thing ever. Because <laughs> water can burn if you, you It could, like, man, if there's, like, a... Like, an oil rig in the middle of the ocean, like... And then, oh, yeah. anyway, that's, like, enough about that. But, yeah, it's been good, man. Good game. Lots of fun. There's, like, almost 500 people in here. Hit the like button while you're here. It's free. It's good. Dal L says RJ being left-handed is an added bonus. You got a lefty over here, brother. I know it's showing up as right on the podcast, but yeah. lefties are special. <laughs> lefties can make you work. S this has seen a special bias. lefty go to work many Sundays and Saturdays this, at pickup. This is lefty bias. Crazy. Oh, my God. Dude, lefties, lefties are elite. <laughs> Um, well, you called him James Harden the other day too, right? You called him, yeah. I, I did think. not call him James Harden. <laughs> I said that he made a really elevated pocket pass in the pick and roll. And then somebody said, are you saying it's James Harden? And I was like, ah, you know, like that's funny. <laughs> but it was, he did make like the he did, yeah, yeah. left-handed, like, ding, like that yeah. little little skip to my loop pass, pass, right? That's yeah, right, yeah. yes. Which James obviously popularized from the left hand, the left side of the floor. Emmanuel, quickly, let's focus on IQ. A couple games where, you know, he hasn't been the focal point of the offense. And I think has been largely, even though, like, I had that tweet, it's Martin Short on Conan, opens up, like, the, the, the jack and was like, hey, everybody. Like, IQ walked into this team saying that, well, sorry, he walked into a team with a fan base saying, like, you're him. You're yeah. the star. Like, you're the answer to the point guard position. And he was like, he was probably like, hell yeah, I can be that guy. And <laughs> like, he really tried it on that, like six seconds he pulled against the Kings. He yeah. tried to be that guy and he'll keep trying to be that guy. But there's so much like ability for these Raptors to create offense. There's like a, a, a lot of self-creation, a lot of ball handling on the floor at all times that it really allows quickly to like float in and out of plays as a spacer and the passive support from his presence out there, I think has just been immense. And then his, when he has this stuff working on ball, it's great. I, I love that his off ball, like, I mean, this is something that was evident in New York too, because he had to play alongside guys like Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. And I think the fact that he was able to play off of those type of guys who, by the way, also very good isolation players. Like when we look at Pascal, who's been a very good isolation player all his career. Like when these guys are such good advantage creators by themselves, you now have a secondary guy who can attack. You, you talked about RJ just now attacking closeouts, being that guy in the secondary position to make plays. IQ is another guy tilted defense. He's going to get downhill, settle into his floater. He did that a couple times today. He's he going to Pascal be... had this messy ass exchange as like screener ball handler, and oh, yeah, it didn't yeah. work out at all. And IQ still like wriggled down the baseline and hit like this little floater. And it's just like creation, a bound. You just need it. What a yeah. blessing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that it, it all comes down to. Guys who can create advantages off of the advantages your stars can create for you. And when you have Scotty and Pascal, yeah, a lot of advantage creation in that sentence just now. And but the term carrying the advantage. Advantage yeah. maintenance. Shout sure. out to Dean Wade. Shout out to Dean Wade, man. 
yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I just think that's that's been the coolest part of this whole thing is seeing RJ and quickly, both of them really, I think in separate games. Um, but you know, obviously today was RJ, yes, or two days ago, I guess, whatever it was, uh, was IQ that was trying to do the damage. Their ability to just play off of the guys that we have, the the Pascals, the Scotties, that's gonna help immensely. And I'm I'm actually curious, I feel like they they should be still running more stuff off ball for quickly. It feels like we're still only like 25, maybe, maybe 50% tapped into the potential of how many off ball actions you can actually run for a guy like IQ just zipping around screens. You showed the play earlier, but like, why not run that like 10 times a game? You know, I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't know. They ran it, I think, four times in this game. And like the cool thing is you want to run plays not just for IQ, but you want to run plays where like there are multiple possibilities. You don't want to run a play where you're moving and in motion for like six seconds and there's only one outcome. You right. want three possible outcomes within six seconds. Like, And if you're setting up staggers out of the corner, get them set by like 16 or 15 seconds of the clock. Don't start running staggers at 12 seconds. This is really important point guard stuff that like quickly will get better at over time. And especially late in games too, you want to run the defense. And like Darko talked about this before the season, he's able to see out more of the 0.5 offense tenets because more guys on this team can draw an advantage and carry an advantage, which means that you can operate under the house, under the hierarchy of 0.5 decision-making. We see guys like quickly who can thrive within it. We see Pascal is playing quicker now. We see Scotty has always been able to toggle slow or fast, depending on what the team needs. RJ has been making way quicker decisions with the Raptors than he was with the Knicks. Like even Gary Trent Jr., who in this game, like maybe I'm a little remiss not to say how good he was. Like he yeah. made that that late play right down the middle, drew two to him, dropped it off. Crazy. The I've nice. never seen him do that before in his life. He had... <laughs> in the middle of the 2021-22 season, a stretch of two weeks where he was averaging four assists per game. It was the very best playmaking stretch of his career. And it was because mostly, because he was shooting the hell out of the ball, if you remember. It yeah. was mostly that he was drawing two to him out of dribble handoffs and making the lay down on empty sides. He just has to make that read more often. But he was 6 of 11 from the field. When it was nine points, Hit late three. third quarter, banged a triple just he doesn't need to dribble as much as he was being asked to before the trade he's not asked to create as much more of these plays can fall into his hands as a shooter rather than a creator that's a pretty comfortable spot for gary trent jr he gets to hunt a little bit more on defense and like 14 points in short order 26 minutes plus 10 a, a major part of the bench unit that helped the Raptors survive some minutes. And then like you win a game where Pascal plays 30, Scotty plays 23 minutes. Isaiah yeah. quickly plays 26. Like Schroeder plays 28. Gary plays 26. Chris Boucher plays 16. Jante Porter plays like almost 12. They're able to find like a bench that works. And, you know, we talked about at the start, like role definition, a hierarchy that makes sense. You don't have to like bend everything into this one uncomfortable way. It's just, it's nice. Yeah. The team makes sense. You know, you know, you, I, I saw, and we had this discussion maybe a little bit during the game about Darko um, and just having the tools necessary for it. One of the main things for 0.5 off, like for that to work is one, the quick decision makers, guys who are willing to kind of make these plays, especially 
off of the second side when that advantage is created. But this, the other thing is like being able to hit shots and being a scoring threat. And I think the Raptors have established that well and through with guys like RJ and quickly who can themselves be scoring threats. And well, now like the, yeah, the sorry, big, go ahead. The, the big, big thing too is like shooting. So you create closeout opportunities because 0.5 basketball, the first thing everybody thinks of, and I think this is true is pump dribble playmake from the middle of the court everybody thinks about that when they think 0.5 and this is something that happens to a guy like pascal who i'm glad he's hitting like above the break threes i'm glad like he's only 0.3 percent away from 30 percent now on the season it's it's been trending up he'll probably end up if i had to guess like 32 or 33 percent on the season that's definitely like that's palatable you can work with that certainly especially the fact that he's shooting almost 60% on his twos, which is nuts. But you have to be able to draw that closeout so you can pump and go and keep playing with advantage. If you can't draw a closeout, the advantage stops with you. Yeah. And then you're not playing 0.5 anymore because 0.5 from above the break to above the break to another guy who's covered, what, it's, what that's is not that playing with advantage. That's why Darko for like a month to start the season was like, we need to get into the paint. We didn't get into the paint often enough. We were were trying to have dribble penetration. And it was just when, look, a lot of people who are listening to this right now will will notice that. RJ, RJ, he can bury. Bumble his way in there, big old bully, you know? Yeah, but I, what's what, what's my name right now? Bay Street Bully Barrett, man. You know, uh, yeah. I look. I I think just the fact that they are they're easier to create rim touches for. Not even rim touches, just paint touches. Um, it's making a lot of other guys have open shots. I actually think it's opened the the floor for Jakob a little bit too, just because obviously the the secondary creation side now when an advantage is created by Pascal or Scotty. You know, second side, it's RJ or quickly running that pick and roll. Most of the time, it's empty side. Jakob can kind of go up. That's a layup for him, right? And the touch will come. The finishing will come. Like, it's been good in a couple of games here. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm excited for for Jakob kind of feeling comfortable offensively, finally, you know? We also got, you know, that was Jakob's first dunk connecting on a pass from quickly, right? And also, yeah. Phoenix Playsy asked earlier for us to talk about, like, um, quickly's left-handed skip to pass oh, down yeah. the corner. great play but also i love seeing you know people emulate and mimic other things they've done like repeat things i don't like flashes necessarily i like repeated actions and quickly putting his guy in jail getting downhill waiting for pearl to assume the lane and then that little boop drop off pass second one tonight and also it's much better he can finish at the rim why because they have shooting so that the tag isn't as aggressive. Maybe it's a stunt. Maybe nobody comes over at all, and Jakob is just unimpeded running to the rim. That's great. Those are the types of playmaking things that quickly definitely got to do with Hartenstein, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad Jakob is such like a, a good facsimile for a lot of what Hartenstein did because quickly and Hartenstein had like an awesome little two-man game going, and Jakob can emulate a lot of that kind of stuff. So to see him step in, find familiar familiarity there and knowing that familiarity with scotty is definitely going to come farther and farther down the line that's you know they put out the video masai was on the phone i love the fit with scotty that's 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 going to be the crux of what they do a lot of their main actions offensively there's there's just like 
There's good stuff there. Joshua Howe says there's a wispiness to IQ's game. Guy moves like a cloud so easily, so smoothly with feathery bursts here and there. Love how he's working his way into the offense and rarely forcing anything. Everyone, we have a published writer and poet giving us stuff in the <laughs> middle of the podcast. But it's true. And it also plays into a bit of a critique that Phoenix Plays was talking about. Like he wanted a little bit more strength on some of the finishes. It's true. IQ once he gets all the way to the rim, is going to move away from contact. He's And he's going to rely on touch a lot. Yeah. That's why yeah. you see him stop short with a floater. He's shooting almost 60% on floaters this season, right? Which is like, that's... That, that's, that's absurd. That's yeah. great for floaters, but it's also not that good for layups. So finding that mix between like beating a guy to the glass and also being a little bit braver, you know, be wispy when you need to be powerful when you have Punch. to yeah. it's bruce lee be like water you know <laughs> right he, he has to add that crash like a wave type of thing yeah. which uh, i think is an important uh, aspect of his finishing going forward he's never been a big layup guy he's young he'll have opportunities to play make in space and get used to like how he wants to navigate those parts of the floor and dropping bigs it's something I expect to improve going forward, especially considering he has immense touch. But Emmanuel quickly in what was a quiet game, nine points, 10 assists, five rebounds, still I think was such a positive to what the Raptors were doing. I know he's only a plus four, but I just, you see it out there, right? The like presence. It makes, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I think also he is starting to figure out how he can impact this specific team on the defensive end. Um, I think the weak side rotation stuff was evident in the Sacramento game. It was also evident in the game before that. And I think against the Grizzlies, sorry, I completely bought for, forgot who they played for a second. Um, and then I think tonight he did more, more of the same, uh, last night or two nights ago against the Kings, it was him and Schroeder at the nail, just like hounding guys on these drives, really, really over helping to try and stop the Kings dribble penetration. Now you see him figuring out how to play alongside. We talked about team defense being such a massive part of his defensive style. He's figuring out how he can impact the game on a two-way level. Uh, so even when the offense might not be falling the way he wants to, the shot's not falling the way he wants to, he can still be an impactful player, make plays, if you will, on the defensive end. Yeah, and I see people like talking about Scotty a lot in the comments, and I just want to urge, like, it'll take time, but honestly... In a game where the Raptors are playing like beautiful basketball and neither Pascal or Scotty score like like Pascal having 16 and six is well below his expected stuff too, right? Like he didn't yeah. have much of the ball. Scotty didn't have much of the ball. Don't worry too much about specific player success when like the team is playing really beautiful basketball and yeah. getting contributions like down the line. It, it's so important for players not only to put up big numbers when losing or on teams that lose often but to find their way to impact when teams are humming without them, because it's a lot more important to like win ex exist <laughs> in the ecosystem of a winning team than yeah. it is to put up big numbers on a bad one. Even, even if you look at it and say like, you know, bigger numbers lead to more accolade accolades or whatever. I get it. But like, existing in the ecosystem is by far the most important and i have no doubt that scotty can exist and thrive but just not tonight and maybe like, it should whatever lead, 
Maybe it should lead to more acolytes. There'd be more voters for Scotty Barnes for the All-Star Game. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, okay. That's other... pretty clever. Like, I got you. Man. Not a lot Listen. of people have the acolyte joke in their bag, especially built <laughs> off of I screwed up saying accolade. That's quick, man. I got you, man. You know, uh, Martin Short over here. <laughs> Can we talk about – I mean, we did already, but, you know, we – I think I was on this show – it was the Mavericks game where Scotty also struggled offensively. I mean, maybe he struggled for like three quarters and did well in the in the fourth he quarter. He killed it on defense, though. Destroyed it on defense. And I thought tonight was sort of a similar example to that. It says he has one block here and one steal, but I think the he should have— The keepers were screwing up, man. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. They were the whole game. I, I, I don't even know where that comes from. And yeah. comparing? And I'm mm-hmm. just like, what the hell? I'm like, what the— Because like they even at one point, they gave Pascal a three. He didn't hit. Like Pascal oh, was really? at twelve points after the first quarter. He was actually at nine. They eventually corrected it, but yeah, they were ca- they counted one of Scotty's steals or one of his blocks as a steal. As a steal, yeah. And yeah. they're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they're trying either to, way, man. They're trying defense. to game the system so that Matt Moore's attempted dunk on me from my Scotty <laughs> stat line prediction comes to fruition because he needs the blocks more than anything, man. Uh, Sharon yeah. Baxter also brings up something that we talked about a lot at the start, but. Barnes shut down Curry, net 30 points. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it ended up being net 30 or anything like that. But Scotty was not the only primary defender on um, Curry, but he was the, he spent the most time on him. And I thought he did like a great job, like a great job there, which is a huge thing too. Providing that defensive impact when the path to offensive impact isn't handed to you or isn't necessarily like, uh, uh, really easy to understand. Some games, your skill set doesn't make that much sense. Scotty is an opportunistic scorer. He, especially now since he's like a much better three point shooter, he finds his way to baskets. Like he goes over four from three in this game. His shot chart is changing over time. He has to figure out his hierarchy. What do I look for initially? What is my greatest strength? How does this strength affect defenses? How do defenses most often react to me? What is my first playmaking read against the most common defensive response? All this kind of stuff does not get figured out in the first 40 games of your breakout season. It gets figured out over the course of your breakout season, and then it gets figured out during the following season, and it's all this kind of stuff. It's constantly like the back and forth of beating the game plan, the ever-evolving game plan, and the true stars in the league are ever-evolving, which I think is what Scotty will be. And this is just like a ho-hum game where it's three for 11, score six points. But who cares, man? This team played great basketball and Scotty fit right in. You know, it's funny you mentioned ever-evolving. I think there's no, maybe not no better player, but Pascal is such a great player for Scotty to learn from in that ever-evolving category. Because if you watch... He's very resilient. Very resilient. Obviously, you mentioned some of the injury stuff over the last four or five years, but just the fact that he's been able to constantly add something to his game and also master areas of his game where it's like the mid-range game is now something he can wholeheartedly rely on um and that was just not part of his game five years ago today there was such a big conversation on the timeline about pascal siakam in 2019 versus you know pascal siakam in 2024 they're they're wildly different players and the evolution process it's not something that happened overnight it's not something that happened in a season, you know, obviously Pascal won most improved player, but that wasn't the season where it all got figured out. Yeah. It gradually over time became this, you know, offensive engine scorer, 
you know, you mentioned assassin-like killer last time I was on here. That's the type of player he is now. It wasn't that way in 2019. It's been an evolutionary process. Scotty can learn from it. Even even the space between Pascal's first All NBA selection and his second, Pascal was a guy who's he was on like the greatest shooting streak of his life. He shot 34% on a whole bunch of pull-up threes, a bunch of them above the break. Crazy. He was just like, he was hitting threes like crazy. He was attacking in straight lines. He was playing with Kyle Lowry and a really fantastic Raptors team. He did not operate in the middle of the floor at all. That mm-hmm. And his first All-NBA selection is because he's giving you like this three-point shooting, attacks in a straight line, and every once in a while gets like a pinch post action or, a, or does early work and gets a mismatch. Whereas now... And in his second All-NBA selection, he's a guy who thrives mostly in the middle of the floor, is maybe the best of all the big men in the league at, like, you can stunt and pick away at him. He won't kill his dribble. He will probe. He'll protect his dribble. He will drag guys. He'll play make. He'll score. He'll, like, he's very resilient. Kills in the middle of the floor. And his shot chart, his approach, his unassisted rates, everything about how he attacks is now more friendly to an aging body, a slower player, which is important as you age. But it's also just like more like game plan proof, especially when you have a team that can shoot around you. If you can draw a double and your team can shoot, hell yeah. Like great things coming. And this Raptors team has been shooting. So, you know, Guru Shishya says, yeah, but how do you drop to 25% three-point shooting? He's not at 25% three-point shooting. He's basically at 30 now. And I'll tell you how. (laughs) You have the worst shooting streak of your life five of 52 that's how he hasn't lost the ability he was never as good as 2019-20 but he's been like an all right to mediocre three-point shooter you know above the break for however long that's that's what it is but you know he's been trending up we'll see where Mm -hmm. it stops or what it is but I don't know. It seems maybe a little bit overly negative to to focus on something that's been trending up and is not long no longer at 25%, you know? Yeah. He he's yeah. a really interesting case study in development initially to the first player he became and then the second player he became after all the injuries, after being the most taxed player in the NBA in the same season leading the NBA in closeouts, in minutes played and isolations. He did that all in the same season. After he and that was a season that those, sounds those exhausting. Are, those are the totals. Yeah, he missed the start of the season with a torn <laughs> groin, like or torn yeah. labrum, and then he also injured his groin. Like this guy has been hurt, has had to adapt, and like when Scotty says that's my favorite player, I don't know if he's memeing, I don't know if he's like ingratiating himself, whatever. But he clearly likes Pascal and looks up to him. There is a bunch of stuff that Scotty can pluck from a guy. Huge, even massive. on his way to become better than that guy, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's not easy to have a better career than Pascal Siakam. Scotty could, and if you want to learn like the craft, the resilience, the adaptability, Pascal is a great player to learn from at that position. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, especially like I, I mean, not to go too deep into the comp or whatever. I'm not trying to make it a comparison, but uh, <laughs> that's that's for you, Seth. <laughs> uh, I, I think the funny. Not even a funny part, but just the interesting aspect of Scotty versus Pascal or Scotty and Pascal is the fact that both of them didn't come into this league as scores, right? Nobody really 
projected either of them to become these guys. And so maybe you can pluck, and in the same way Scotty was this, hey, I'm going to be bigger than you, stronger than you. Pascal came into the league as a guy who's, hey, I'm going to be quicker than you. I'm going to be faster than you. I'm going to beat you down the floor on a transition. There are ways that you can find things. Like you said, pluck things out of the game, add it to your game, add it to the bucket. Skill acquisition, baby. But yes, uh, Scotty Barnes looks cool. Will be good. Will be fine, to be honest with you. You know, Steph Curry learned some of his footwork from Rip Hamilton, and he's a better shooter than Rip Hamilton. You know, like, it's just, even Kevin Durant is much yeah. better than DeMar DeRozan, but Kevin Durant, you let him talk about DeMar DeRozan's footwork, he'll be he'll be on this podcast for longer than we've been. Like, yeah. you can learn from anybody. And Pascal, his game is one of the most unique in the NBA. And this is the thing I think most people don't recognize is that Pascal, the way he works, he doesn't really have a comparison point. He's a very unique, unique NBA player in how he achieves what he achieves and the skill sets he's able to thrive with that if you were somebody who wanted to work, learn how to like work the middle of the floor as a hub and you can't just be like, oh, I'm not seven foot like Jokic and have the greatest touch of all time, moves and approach can be emulated from Pascal Siakam for a guy who maybe has better touch and a yeah. guy who is like Scotty, obviously, has a bigger, more imposing body for the middle of the floor than Pascal does. If he can learn some of those like deft little moves that Pascal has, Jover, man. Like Even there's... the mid-range stuff, man. Like I always look at the mid-range game that Pascal developed, the counters that he has in the mid-range to get to his shot because his like because his release point is so high, he can shoot over the top of a lot of different players. Scotty's like that. Scotty is like exactly like that. And if he can add those little elements to his game, his ISO bag is going to be a lot better, I guess, going yeah. forward. So Micah yeah. Zion says, we stand on the shoulders of literal giants. And that is so true. Like, there's always something before, you know, like, uh, you don't realize how important Peugeot becoming the first, like, corporation plus man at the same time was to the growth of capitalism. And then we see where we are economically now. You look at the people who look at things politically and somebody says, like, you know, maybe they, they discovered Bernie Sanders for the first time or something. And then they're like democratic socialism is like the end all be all and then they realize like that's drawn from like communism trotskyism yeah. leninism or you, you'd be like i'm a third world maoist like there's everything has a genesis and everything grows from something more and skill sets on an nba court are no different Damn chris right. boucher and jante porter let's talk about the bench bags a little bit um we touched on it a little bit at the top when chris boucher now has a lot more room to like dive in as an offensive rebounder. I think there's a lot of room for him now, given more space on the floor. But seven for seven, I think he's been so good since the trade. I think yeah. that there's a lot more room for him as a cutter. I think there's more room for him as an offensive rebounder. I think that he doesn't necessarily fix or improve anything defensively, but I don't think he gives you that. Like, I don't think he's giving anything up, really. Some games he can really get up for defense. Even the big stop that the Raptors got against Fox down the stretch is you have Pascal as the primary on Fox. They get a switch. Boucher holds him up until Pascal completes the switch to blitz coverage on him. Then Boucher trails, blocks him. They get a look at it and like, Crazy That's, split of the double, by the way, by Fox. That was so sweet. He's so um, elite, man. Crazy. Some of his so scoring good. down the stretch of that game, like the bump wiggle fade that he had yeah. in the middle, I was like, 
Well, he was like, if a defender is taller than me, then I'm going to beat them to the basket. If a defender is smaller than me, then I'm just going to like bully ball them. And like, he has He's almost so perfect, much, man. He, he, I He's mean, especially with the shooting. The hell, yeah. 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 With the shooting. I beat you like, to it. I beat you. Damn it. <laughs> no, no. Um, um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Fox is, is crazy tough to, okay. On Boucher, the, the one area i guess that's interesting with boucher is the swing factor i guess offensively for him is that three-point shot he made three threes and if he's stretching the floor for you as well that adds another dynamic i think that's why a guy like jante porter is so intriguing because he can also potentially stretch the floor for you and now when you're talking about bench groups throwing in a dennis schroeder who's going to get downhill those pick and roll actions when you're having jante pop out when you're having chris boucher pop out when those guys maybe get their shots respected now it's, oh, a lot easier for Dennis to get downhill and get to the basket. Oh, a lot easier for Gary in that dribble handoff scenario to settle into a mid-range shot because they're worried about Chris maybe on the other side or worried about Jante taking a shot. And that's the intrigue, I guess, for the most part with both of those guys. It's, hey, you can do these ancillary things for us, these like tertiary things for us as a big, but you can also potentially on any given night knock down a few shots from outside. Uh, Emma is in chat. She says, go OG. Oh, wait. Uh, a stat for Emma before we go on. OG has the highest plus minus of any player ever in three in the world in yeah. three or four games with their new team. Uh, it seems like a win-win trade. The Knicks defense looks awesome with OG. The Raptors look awesome with um, obviously IQ and RJ yeah. and whoever the 31st pick is. I guess we'll see. Jean Bronny James, baby. I don't know. Sorry. He's not going to be there. No, he man. won't. He won't. He won't. I'm sorry. No, he, I, he's Magic I, Johnson. I'm not going to be there. Jante, <laughs> uh, we saw a little bit of the passing. You know, yep. short roll, collapses, big left-handed swing out to the corner. I still think he moves pretty well defensively. Not every game is going to be his game. This game was less his game than others. And, you know, the cool thing, though, and, like, I think a really cool thing is they don't necessarily need Jante every game. He's just yeah. like kind of out there. And if he gives you a lot, then you're like, hell yeah. Eight and a half man rotation, sometimes nine, right? Like Jante sure. can be that ninth guy for you, can swing the game. If you're not feeling Jante, then maybe, you know, you go, if, like depending on the matchup and whatnot, you have a couple of different options at that ninth spot. I'm not saying you love all of them. Maybe that's why Jante is getting the run that he's getting right now. But the fact that you have a really solid eight, like we we keep going back to this idea of role identification and whatnot, but the, the eight are so good and fit so well together for the most part that that ninth guy, you can sort of experiment with. And now you're seeing that with Jante. It's like they need a little bit of size over the, the Kings game, tonight's game, offensive rebounding has killed this team. And I, I, Saw a few comments saying, like, how can they solve that? I think adding some size inevitably will help solve that a little bit. Having two guys in Boucher and Jante who can crash the glass for you on the offensive end, who are actively looking to get second chance points, those are the type of players that can help the defensive rebound. And yeah, just in general rebounding. And also, like, a cool wrinkle for OG's career is that he's going to New York with all the media there. OG, like, he's not going to be a star offensively often but he's so consistent and fantastic defensively that everyone's going to be able to gas him up. And for his legacy, this is going to be better. Like it, it's kind of like, you know how Huge, when, yeah. when C3PO, a kind of meek 
you know, character steps into the Ewok village, they like exalt him as like God <laughs> King. OG like stepping in and being like, I can play defense really good. And they're like, Jesus among us. This guy's the best <laughs> we've ever seen. It's like a nice, you know, little wrinkle for his career. Um, and in a way that like Raptors media, as much as we tried to like put him on in his yeah. defense, we don't have they don't the believe power. us. They don't, don't believe we don't us. got the New York power, bro. We're not like Makai over there. Emma yeah. says big apple OG, and that's that's the truth of it. Garrett Temple made a contested uh, layup in transition. I thought that was great. I also thought it was great that he uh, donated money to the Ontario Teachers Union. Big shout out unions. Big shout out Labor King Garrett yeah. Temple. Uh, is there anything else we're supposed to talk about in this podcast? Um, I guess the one thing I would say is, does, does this stretch? Cause I've seen this question a few times in the comments. Just curious. Does this stretch give you any more like yes. playoff postseason, yes. like playing? I'm a sucker, know? man. I mean, too, I'm man, sucker. I'm, I'm ready to jump off the ledge, but I need, I need a 500 or better in this road trip. If you can give me 500 or better in this road trip, man, we're cooking with grease. If we can, if I can get four and two. If I can get four and two out of this road trip, I'm ready to talk myself into play-in and postseason basketball with the Raptors. For the people in chat, around 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, I will be doing a live podcast with Trevon Heath, the pull-up tray. It's our first return since my incident in November. It's been <laughs> tough to connect and make everything work, but I will ask him what record he needs on the road trip for him to for the pants yeah. to be off. That's like. <laughs> It's it's nothing lewd, it's nothing crazy, but Trey, it's like you know, Coco in chat says, I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to believe and I'm ready I to believe. I think get we hurt. all are, man. Yeah. I think we, we just we need something to believe in, right? Like for a long time to start this year, the end of last year, it felt like whatever the Raptors were giving the fan base just wasn't enough to latch on to, right? Everything is fleeting. Free agents are fleeting, players are somehow fleeting, coaches are fleeting. The, the like essence of the team just wasn't there. The let us believe in the fake comebacks. Let us believe in the random bench player doing well. And you're getting a little bit of that now, right? You're you're getting the the comeback games. You're getting the fun little fourth quarters. You're getting the cool little celebrations. You're getting the Jante Porter development game. You're getting all of that stuff that felt like Raptors basketball for a long time. And it's back. People are getting to enjoy their extracurriculars that were designed for them to enjoy them, yeah. which I think is a nice thing. I'm Pretty also good. very pleased that I've been able to uh, bring up a capitalism versus uh, scientific <laughs> socialism debate in the chat. <laughs> that was my ex expectation and my hope. Uh, I'm very proud of everybody for debating politics in the chat. I love that. Um, I've never been one to debate politics online, but certainly, oh, yeah. but certainly <laughs> off of it. <laughs> um hell yeah uh there's still 500 people in the chat like the video if you haven't already it helps spread it to other people who will probably enjoy this the same way that you are and it's free uh s anything you want to say before we get out of here shout out raptors republic uh appreciate you for having me on as always uh it's always fun to do these because it's like you know you come out of a game and especially for me with me clipping i'm like coming out of a like a, a chamber yeah i know i feel like i'm the matrix and they they take me out with the little thing at the back of my head and i'm like okay all right i'm ready to i'm ready to talk about things that i've learned in the past two and a half hours so yeah it's it's cool for me to catch up with everybody here and, and sort of yeah talk about everything uh just for like a note a programming note uh just for people to pay attention to so february 6th 
there will be a live podcast put on by RR. We still have to do all the marketing around it. There will be a live podcast, so keep that tucked away. The last time we had last year, it was like the trade deadline primer. We sold it out, so get your tickets fast when they're available. Also, yep. in March, at the end of it, Raptors Republic is having another three-on-three tournament. Myself and S will Hell be teammates. Yeah. Hell if yeah. If you guys want to like hoop against us, that's that's the Hell place to yeah. do it. So that's all that kind of stuff. And then for anything else, if you want to support Raptors Republic, the best way to do so is through subscription model. As far as analysis of the Raptors, I fancy RR is the cutting edge and the very best written video work, whatever you want to call it. And we do have a subscription fee. And that's so we can pay writers what they deserve to be paid. And so that we can help people avoid the, in my opinion, predatory internship based way to get into this current industry and in doing so raptors republic already has helped create a more diverse newsroom has helped create a more diverse beat on the raptors and this is what we try to do as an independent media uh situation in toronto we we try to be the best we can we try to do our stuff thank you to everybody for listening in i've been samson folk this has been Asfandiar Barahini. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Normal guy says pizza is for the people. We'll be eating pizza soon, brother. Don't you worry. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. All right, we got a podcast.